you know we take smell for granted like if i ask you you know what are your surrounding smell maybe you won't be able to articulate it just then because a you are so uh, you know you've taken those smells so for granted that literally when i interview you maybe you will not be able to even discern them but the person who's like a from a not from that particular region culture or somebody who then enters your space would be able to you know sort of look at it very differently so this was a beginning research problem in a way because uh, we were trying to understand the history and uh, you know cultural significance of a person and because they were taking smell for granted it was not really coming to the fore Hi everyone, welcome to Design Draws, where we explore why, how and what design and designers are driving forward. The mission is to interview the most forward-thinking designers, innovative creators on the planet to inspire and help you to reach your full creative potential and to make a positive impact in the world. In this episode, I chat with Kanabari Zahu on her learnings working as a design leader for many, many years. In recent times, she has been winning many global design awards and build up the design competence at Value Labs in India. In the episode, we learn how she positioned and built up design from within the company and grows her responsibility and value within an organization. Further, we learn about smell design, as one of her most awarded projects is called Sniffing Out the Differences. We not only learn about the challenges and opportunities designing with smell, but also the business value of considering smell as a creative medium when it comes to your design output or how to integrate it in a commercial setup. I hope you enjoy the episode. So I'm here with Karambari Sahu, SVP of Design at Value Labs. Thank you so much for taking your time. Hey, it's a pleasure uh, to be here, Sebastian. So we're going to talk about your experience working as a design leader now for many years. You also have been winning a lot of awards uh, in recent years with a project called Sniffing the Difference, focusing on the experience that people make to their nose and how this influences the human experience and what kind of experience you can create from that. It's quite stunning. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to chat with you about that. Um, also about how you run teams uh, in the context of innovation, um, how you manage teams, projects, and um, drive innovation forward uh, with your background. So really looking forward to that. I think what would be really great, Kat, um, for the beginning is to set some context for the audience. So if you can outline a little bit of your journey, how did it all start out for you? That would be great. So uh, I'm Kadampri Sahu. I'm uh, currently uh, SVP Design at Value Labs. And I founded User Experience Group three years back in Value Labs. Uh, Value Labs is a technology company. And um, three years back when I started this whole design consulting team, uh, the aim was to create like a team uh, which was world-class and you know doing great work in UX, in service design, and you know, really uh, crashing the boundaries between interaction design, service design, and you know new media bringing all those perspectives together um, and creating, of course, world-class and you know, good design for everyone. Um, and now in 2021, um, we got uh, Creative Agency of the Year, my International Business Awards, and uh, Muse uh, ranks us as third in the top agencies in the world. So that's this just about you know uh, what kind of uh, you know uh, team it is. It's a multidisciplinary team uh, composing of people coming from various different uh, you know perspectives and backgrounds uh, and disciplines. So we have a multidisciplinary teams where designers come from interaction design, they come from visual design, they come from architecture, uh, urban design, uh, strategic design management, product design, 
then information design. So there's a lot of different sort of, uh, you know, design perspectives, discipline that comes together to create product and services, mainly in technology space, but using not just, uh, you know, technology, but looking at, you know, how we can improve the life of people using service design, interaction design, and various different, you know, disciplines that we come from. Uh, so it's like a holistic picture that we create, uh, you know, with with using design as storytelling, design as, you know, agent of change in the world. Um, so that's like a little bit about my team. Uh, currently, it is 50 plus uh, team members that I have, uh, mainly designers and some design managers. Um, so that's about the team that we have uh, in Value Labs. I'm also founder of Design Inspired Platform, which again comes from Value Lab. Uh, I'm the founder of that particular initiative where we are looking to create just an equitable futures for all by using uh, design education as our primary offering to create uh, you know, opportunities from people from everywhere, uh, and especially from marginalized and underprivileged uh, backgrounds. So that's, that's one of the part that we're doing uh, currently from Value Labs. Um, the other thing that you just touched upon is sniffing out the differences. Uh, it's a collective uh, currently where we are researching about smell interactions, uh, how smell interfaces and olfactory interfaces can be, you know, leveraged to create uh, stories, installations uh, in interaction design and, you know, uh, how we can bring about changes with compelling stories and installation design uh, using smell and even multi-sensory uh, installations. So that's one part of it. And for my design leadership and, uh, you know, design that I have, you know, done so far, I have received 140 plus awards. Um, and yeah, most of them in the last three years. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, that's some part of it. I'm also uh, part of prestigious, uh, you know, awards uh, as a jury member where I have done like, you know, uh, you know, sort of uh, a jury for Com Arts, uh, then Vega Design Awards, TV and many other. Uh, this year, I'm also co-chairing Interaction Awards uh, 2022. Um, to create just an equitable, you know, sort of uh, awards for everybody, like, you know, where we can uh, talk about culture, design, and how design fits in everywhere, uh, and the story of design triumphs around the world. With all that I'm doing currently, I think uh, one of the things that I want to, uh, you know, really have an impact about is creating just equitable futures and unlocking opportunities, which are actually blocked because of some biases and myths. So to disabuse people of these kind of things, to actually let people uh, you know, do what they want to with opening up new opportunities and empowering them through design and design leadership. So yeah, that's a little bit about you know, what I do currently. Well, thank you so much for the sort of impressive outline of, of your journey. This is, I mean, super, sounds super excited. I'm wondering which kind of area we go first, because I think there's a lot of ground to cover. Um, but I think it would be, you know, I think great to talk about uh, sniffing um, the difference because I think this was really um, a major project for you that got a lot of media attention and uh, a lot of awards, like you mentioned. Um, so I think it would be really great for audience if you can highlight a little bit what exactly sniffing the difference was, what you're trying mm -hmm. to achieve with it, and what was the motivation behind it. So uh, in 2018, or even before that, I think 2017, uh, uh, I was looking at you know various different ways of how design impacts people, um, and one of the things uh, like I have a heightened sense of uh, smell, so I can smell things, and it matters to me a lot. Um, and I was looking at, you know, what to create, uh, you know, to create something which is really powerful and compelling. 
So I started my research in looking for olfactory interfaces and how that can, you know, talk about cultural uh, things. Um, thankfully, at that point of time, uh, Prince Trust Fund and British Council uh, had opened up uh, grants for contemporary take beyond heritage. And that's what exactly fit in, uh, you know, the kind of stories that I wanted to talk about. Stories of change through smell. So sniffing out the differences actually talked about three things. One was identity. Second thing was discrimination and differences that comes out when we try to identify us as somebody and then, you know, sort of discriminate if uh, that comes into picture. So those kind of discrimination and politics of identity. And third thing was, of course, all of this storytelling through smell. The whole idea was to talk about powerful, uh, you know, stories and a sense of smell uh, when I was researching. And even as per my experience was something which was very intimate, which is very emotionally driven, uh, which is driven by your memory. And it has a long lasting effect on you because smell is one thing that actually enters your body. Right. And then the stories that we created, uh, you know, sort of uh, exhibition that we uh, created of uh, sniffing out the differences was on racism and massacre. Um, that had happened pre-independence and we wanted to actually sort of uh, you know use that story and talk about contemporary times where you know we, we were looking at a lot of polarization and what can happen when you know these kind of polarization and things can affect us how low humanity can stoop and what kind of massacre can happen like you know how people go blind in these kind of things we wanted to showcase that so we used uh, the power of smell uh, and storytelling to create this massacre sort of space, um, uh, which talked about these. And of course, all the spe- uh, smells were not uh, pleasant in that, but uh, it did talk about uh, a lot of, uh, you know, sort of convincingly putting up the message together. Um, I think most of the audiences were, you know, emotionally moved with that. But apart from that, this massacre story, I think we had some really good ones where we positively talked about our identities being shaped up by all the places we live in. And not talking somebody else as a foreigner or somebody who's you know from outside the culture as totally uh, not being from that city or from country. Uh, we also talked about war-toned region of Kashmir and then a speculative design where it was challenging xenophobia. So all of this interesting story and everything with nose first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's totally right. Like, I think, you know, very often if we go into a certain place or a certain space, we you know, smell something and then sort of it, it uh, awakes memories, you know, so memories yeah. from actually a completely different location, you know, but uh, <laughs> somehow it connects. Right. And I, I think every, every person in the audience probably has experienced that uh, once in their life that, um, you know, smell kind of um, uh, create some kind of memory uh, to maybe, you know, a few years ago or some kind of experience, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about like how it actually was then, uh, executed um i mean i saw some images and, and videos how it was done so it's basically for the audience uh, please correct me if i'm wrong here cat it was basically cones that were attached mm-hmm. to the wall and people can get closer to this cone and then people can experience a certain smell and basically that way you were able to tell a story if i'm right so basically how, how did it work did you have to also add a text into that uh, how did you map out the experience so people actually could understand the story? Was it really just to smell and you didn't have any, give any context or you revealed it later? Or did you have to set some context in the beginning or, you know, do some videos in between? Like, how, how did you kind of execute that journey so people could follow that narrative? Because I'm not sure if it's just only smell without context or if you add, and you add some other elements. 
So uh, what you talked about cone, that was just one installation out of the five installations that we had. And there were also another installation with uh, jars. Now, when I deconstruct all of these, it's it's basically using a lot of design principles like gestalt uh, and, you know, montage, like how two different images comes together. But this time, rather than two different images, it was about two different sort of uh, uh, senses coming together or, you know, two different type of images coming together. So the one that you talked about, uh, the cone, it actually, we use a lot of sensor technology with all of this. So uh, there was like a sensor where, you know, when you come towards the cone and you, you know, sort of just get in a certain range, it will detect a human presence and then it will whiff out a small level of, you know, perfume. So you can smell that. At the same point of time, we used a certain another uh, sense or information to make sure there was a context. Um, so I remember um, uh, this thing, you know, smell has a lot of associations. And for each one of us, it will have its own association. So it is important yeah. that in certain way you need to guide it. So in certain installations, we, uh, like in the one that we're talking about, it's called identity stories. There we used a like a sound, uh, like a dialogues which used to come out where they narrated. Now there were two people uh, and it was sort of autobiographical in nature. So they talked about a certain uh, cultural artifact or, you know, they talked about a certain uh, history of episode that happened in their life and then there was smell so it made like you know you were present in that particular region where from there which smell was and the episode so that way it created a, a you know sort of content uh, uh, made sense to them uh, apart from that uh, the Jalinwala Bagh the first the massacre and uh, sort of uh, um, uh, installation it had only sounds as in, like, you know, um, the journey starts with a festive uh, occasion of Baisakhi and ends in massacre. So it had only the jars, like how you would have if you went on a historical site and unearthed some of the artifacts. So there were artifacts which were kept and there were like some sound, like, for example, sound of a baby. That was one of the most emotional ones, because what you could hear is the sound of a baby. What you could see is like a footwear with um, blood stains. And what you could smell is an extremely pungent smell. All of that thing, talking about the aftermath of massacre where people were dead. So these kind of different sort of, you know, uh, information, uh, which would make sense when seen in one go, uh, was some of the ways in which we used, uh, you know, how to narrate a story. That's how the, the progression of the story happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's basically almost, yeah, it's, it's really like an experience. Uh, you really okay. experience the story and the, the narrative uh, to a different level than, of course, than you know, reading a book or uh, watching a movie. And um, yeah, so I think this is super interesting that you were, I had to look into what kind of other interaction elements or senses do I have to add to the smell in order to, uh, you know, make the, the smell shine or basically allow people to kind of understand the narrative only with smell. So interesting. Can you talk a little bit about the design process? So, you know, how did it work out? I mean, you had to, for example, experiment, I think a little bit. So maybe you just tried out with smell in the beginning and then you understood maybe, you know, it's not enough context for people. So you needed to add, add other elements, add other senses, or, you know, when you just came to picking the, the right stories and sort of mapping out the, um, the journey for people, how, how did that design process work out? So, so it was amalgamation of four or five actually different uh, sort of stories, right? One was massacred. One was of autobiographical cultural narrative of people. 
uh, of commons, uh, basically. So each required a very different sort of process. Uh, talking about identity stories, uh, you know, we take smell for granted. Like if I ask you, you know, what are your surrounding smell? Maybe you won't be able to articulate it just then because A, you are so, uh, you know, you've taken those smells so for granted that literally when I interview you, maybe you will not be able to even discern them. Mm-hmm. But the person who's like a, from a, not from that particular region, culture, or somebody who then enters your space would be able to, you know, sort of look at it very differently. So this was a beginning research problem in a way, because uh, we were trying to understand the history and, uh, you know, cultural significance of a person. And because they were taking smell for granted, it was not really coming to the fore. So we had to actually go to that place, understand the significance uh, so first we look at the site, then we actually interviewed again and again, and finally that memory and how you know that memory uh, is attached to a certain smell was uh, like you know sort of came to the fore. But it took a lot of time to actually interview those people on whom we were you know making these sort of uh, installations. Uh, so first that happened. So picking up the smell itself is a difficult thing. Now the smell that you have experienced to recreate that kind of smell, it, it was not so easy task. Uh, at some point of time, you know, we could understand some of the smell we took uh, from, you know, that particular region, uh, then gave it to perfume makers, they actually made those perfume, and then we had to actually go back and validate whether it was actually, you know, smelling the same. So this was also about the smell manufacturer and things like that. So this is just the part of, you know, first faithfully representing a person's experience, but there was another total different part where audience need to understand. So then we had to try and test whether only smell was working. Um, so there are different installations and each one of them tries to portray smell in a very different way. One is like in a jar where you are interacting with the jar and then with the, you know, sort of a little bit of story elements inside that you're able to pick up. Second one with the narrative, then you are trying to, you know, sort of give. So it's a sound. One is a dialogue with a perfume. Another is like, you know, smells and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, one is with the, uh, uh, sort of artifacts the third is with poetry and fourth is like totally with a video so we had to try and test again and again to see which sort of way of storytelling was able to you know sort of describe the story well in which ways so it went on to different sketching creating prototype testing it out and you know if it is failing fast in a way um, trying out different ways to make sure that story is still getting to the audience without making it too dumbed down so we didn't want it to make it like a straight, you know, where you're just reading it out. It is something that intellectually you will make a connection to because a lot of things were alluded because we were also working with a subject which is extremely sensitive. Racism, stereotypes, xenophobia, war-torn regions. These are not very pleasant stories, you know. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so these kind of things we had to like put into place where you know we are just alluding and intellectually you make the leap to join all those narratives together mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so interesting and then how did it work out did you had a workshop uh basically space where you you know tried it out or how did it uh, where all of you uh you know meet and and, and experimented probably uh, assume that if you have multiple smells in the same room, <laughs> it could mix up a little bit, you know, depending on how strong it is. I don't know. How did it, how did that work out? Oh my God. It's, it's a, you know, you know, working with smell is very difficult. I, I remember for the first time when I had to actually choose 
like how do we go about perfume i had come back and uh, the traditional so we had used traditional perfume making in our installations so those are without alcohol and they are extremely intense it's called attar which is like you know really very concentrated so i had i used and uh, the the actual method is they will put it in your hand and you are supposed to smell it the whole arm used to get like filled with different kind of perfumes and as i said we are looking at perfumes which are for massacre <laughs> so it was like really very 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 uh, at times like uh, disturbing and uh, at times i used to have headache um, so that also was one of the part also making sure that it's not mixing because in the same installation you are starting with a festival ending with a massacre the smells of festival is very different full of you know fragrance with uh, you know nice food and things like that so we had to deal with lot of different things a how to separate out these kind of smells from each other um also making sure that you know uh, because once the room is filled with that kind of perfume you cannot take it out so these were some of the very tactical uh, you know sort of very pragmatic uh, things that we had to deal with um when we were designing thankfully it was pre uh, pre pandemic uh, times so we could all meet we could literally see how it is responding to each other um you know and we actually we had like a space a friends uh, uh, house was converted into a workshop <laughs> we used to all meet there <laughs> and used to create everything together so yeah it was a lot of work but yeah we did it like in teamwork is always great here right you always love to work in teams and then you know each one of you have a very different perspective the other thing was not creating stereotypes out of the perfumes so that was like something we had to really question ourselves about whether we are stereotyping it or you know it's it's proper to deal it in that sense mm-hmm. so yeah that makes that makes sense uh so yeah a lot of experiments um identity you know, it totally makes sense that you had the sensor that actually was you know um just setting a certain amount of of smell in that right moment otherwise if you would constantly do it the room would then start to be a mix of different different ones and this just the strongest would survive the, uh, you know probably a lot more about smelling than me but from what i uh, know and uh, learned about uh, the sense of of smelling is that you know it's um in the human brain also a type of sense that we used to understand if there we need to be warned about something so that means like if you go somewhere and you smell something you just going to you're not going to smell it forever uh, basically um the you you smell it in the beginning you smell it uh, for a certain time uh, as long as your brain is basically trying to understand if this is you know if we need to be conscious about something it tries to protect us basically through the sense of smell it tries to see if there is any danger around us if this is like or just tries to get information from the smell but you probably have experienced yourself if you uh in a certain space that was not so pl- pleasurable when you went there for a few minutes uh or even a hour you would not smell it that strong anymore and then you have someone else coming in the room and is like woof that doesn't so sm- smell nice here and you know and you don't even smell it anymore because you've been in that space for a long time so it's a it's a temporary experience right so and like i think one way to kind of keep that uh ongoing experience is by having always new senses because the brain then needs to reinterpret what exactly it is 
maybe more in terms of like um, how we kind of evolve from a, a, a sort of like a reason of warning uh, and mm -hmm. a, a reason of sort of discovery, um, but it kind of makes you experience it. Is that kind of aligning with what you learned about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, it's it's called nose blindness. And uh, when I was looking at a lot of literature about smell and, you know, how to create with them and, you know, yeah. first of all, there's like a lot of like very dirt, small amount of information that you will find actually in terms of installations. There are, but there's very, you know, very dearth of uh, literature that you'll find. In one of the literature, which only talked about smell as a sense, uh, it talked about that you can register a new smell only for 120 milliseconds. Mm -hmm. 120 milliseconds is all you get to smell something and after that your nose becomes blind. Yeah. so uh, i'm sure uh, in, uh, it must be like different for different people uh, mm -hmm. not that objective but yeah that was taken into the account when we're looking at things also you know what if you take like a, a stronger smell first and the weaker and the faint smells later it is a problem because you won't be able to you know literally uh, smell that weaker uh, sort of smells so in a way, even for designing this exhibition, we had to make sure that we are not overpowering people with a certain sense of smell. So we had to keep, keep like some of those in a way where you could smell that you have like a break and the ones which are having a faint smell are actually put first than the ones which have like a stronger sense uh, of the stronger uh, uh, smell. So a lot of, you know, sort of... Uh, thought process had to go uh, to literally create a space because it was like a one big space uh, in a way, which we had to sort of break it down into five stories and, you know, keep it for the audience to, you know, freely move around. So sniffing with the differences they took into account a lot of things uh, with, uh, with sensory perceptions, uh, with, uh, you know, the exhibition design, interaction design, information design, if we can say, it all came down together to make sure that, um, yeah, you know, the sense of smell is not overpowered. Also, uh, we read about like, you know, coffee beans being uh, something that you can use to uh, refresh your sense. And then there was a lot of other literature which, which and, you know, some of the experts would say it's a sham. There's nothing like you, 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 you know, you sniff a coffee and then you can look at it differently. So experimenting a lot of things like that, but you're correct about, you know, this evolutionary trait that we have picked up of only you know, sort of understanding what is different uh, from a warning perspective, from understanding what is not yours or which is a different environment. And that's why uh, I was talking about that research becomes all the more difficult when you're trying to understand somebody else's experience or smell of their culture. Because it's so difficult for them, they have already taken it for granted. So for them, uh, for that smell sort of, uh, you know, memory to come to their fore, to their conscious uh, recollection, it takes a lot of time. You have to look at it from like, you know, how would you question them uh, that it comes and it becomes a part of their conscious, uh, you know, answers and experience and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, the smell that way is very tricky in terms of, you know, creating something from it. Yeah. Your subjects wouldn't know until like if they are already used to it uh, in one sense in the research part and from the audience perspective, you need to make sure that you're not overpowering their sense of smell that they stop actually registering anything. Also, um, there's another thing, uh, which is like, you know, smell interactions. Some people have sneezes and things like that. So making sure that it is safe for them. So those also are different concerns that we need to, you know, address before we design anything. Mm -hmm. 
like usually you know your user when you design some kind of experience in this case like yeah i mean you know your user but like they can be can be very different in terms of like where they are i assume there's also some a little bit of a cultural difference depending on like which kind of audience you have um so interesting uh, impressed and excited about the uh complexity of the, of that matter so i mean there are there are certainly some commercial um examples as well where you know, smell was used, but it's not so much on the forefront. I think if you look at what designers are doing a profile, it's usually around the visual experience, right? That's where yeah, we focus yeah. on most. Sometimes we focus on the audio experience. This is coming more and more, but we don't focus so much on the smell experience. Uh, not so much, at least in a commercial setup. Uh, it's not so much part of the dis discussion if we're designing product and, and service interactions. It's also due to technology, I think. But uh, do you see any kind of change there or what would be, uh, do you have any kind of recommendations to like, designers when, when it comes to that uh, about maybe the opportunities for, for using smell or any kind of ideas, how this could potentially be uh, executed in a more commercial setup? Uh, sure. So first, we uh, I want to answer like, you know, why we are focusing more on vision or audio. It goes back to actually, you know, philosophical. It's a, it's a philosophy. And if we want to change that, it's a philosophical change that has to happen. So uh, when I was doing smell research, right, um, uh, and uh, looking at, you know, why it is that smell interaction or smell-based things did not come out as much as we are looking at uh, vision and audio. Uh, so many Western thinkers, including, uh, I think, Immanuel Kant and many other, you know, uh, really very uh, intelligent people had identified smell as a bestial sort of sense, which, uh, you know, is not as uh, what you call wise or something that will take uh, humanity forward. For them, the senses which would take us forward were vision and audio, because these are primary senses in, with which, you know, you would be doing a lot of, uh, uh, you know, sort of knowledge was uh, transferred through these, like reading, writing, you know, so you'll require your vision. Audio, because in these, like in the uh, earlier days when, you know, you could not write, it was transferred through your medium of, you know, uh, voice in a way, audio, right? Uh, but uh, they thought that sense of smell is a bestial one, and so is taste. Mm -hmm. the, the, the only difference that I saw was some of the text from India, actually where we were looking at it from the perspective of divinity. We're looking at, you know, how you can achieve divinity. And that's why, you know, in Eastern cultures, you'll find a lot of incense and things like that related to it. And it's considered something which is formless, but more real than anything else. So I think, you know, if we want to take advantage of uh, different sort of media, first, we need to change our perception towards it. So we need to understand that uh, the knowledge uh, uh, knowledge cannot only be transferred through vision and audio, but it has a larger uh, our experience could be enhanced even through sense of smell or you know or taste and things like that. And those are knowledge too. Once we make this shift in terms of you know how we look at the world, I think interfaces will also change. And what can change potentially uh, uh, is a very different way of experiencing knowledge. And also, uh, it will be accessible because there are people with different abilities, right? Um, so we would be creating a more accessible, uh, you know, way of interacting with knowledge. Uh, and some knowledge is actually, you know, sort of in a way, uh, like, you know, encapsulated in smell. What about those? How are we going to use them if we are not even accessing the, those kind of systems, right? 
so uh, as i say it's a, it's a change in the perception and way we look at thing it's a philosophical change that needs to be driven to make uh, uh, like smell as a part of a uh, you know mainstream design process or how are we looking at it in some part of it it is already like you know it's there for some things like for example brands right uh, we all know that there's a memory and emotional connect when we look at and we identify people so for example people identify their partners their babies and things like that there's something about smell which is very intimate right mm-hmm. which brands have started using in many of the retail spaces you will see uh, uh, you know where you could see these kind of things when you enter you already find it familiar and enjoyable so you might shop more also there it's a great way of recollecting a brand with with its you know smell and this is already there it's nothing new it's already there we just don't know it so we are being actually trained to understand what is familiar with smell without us knowing it in many of the industry it is already there um now but what can we do more like coming to our experience design right uh, looking at the user experience uh you talked about like you know warning uh, uh, sort of situation some years back i think i was looking uh, one of the examples in tv where a car when it speeds from a certain level um uh, what would happen is the driver doesn't have to even look at the dial that where the speed is but with that speed a certain amount of you know sort of a perfume a scent is given out like a lavender so what would happen is a you will identify that your speeding be lavender having uh, you know the properties of calming people down it would give that you could also punish them if you know speed is something like that so all those kind of things can be you know sort of be made available with smell uh, so that's what i'm saying it's more of a, a you know shift uh, to create a different path of knowledge and different path of uh, access uh, to information and interactions when that happens we would definitely be able to use it commercially and as i said already in the space of product design when we are looking at product as a material product people and brands are using it it's super interesting what you touch on uh you know specifically about you know if it comes to designing spaces uh really then there's an opportunity for you know this the smell sense to shine and you know it could create a certain memory like you said for example even with a brand i remember this at uh, uh, certain hotels um uh, when i was there and like went inside and they put a lot of effort on creating a certain smell i didn't smell it anymore when i was like you know uh, past the entrance like after a while but every time i re-entered you know i was smelling it for the beginning and you know that way i i really remember a positive smelling experience to this uh, hotel experience so um and i connected to the brand so So interesting. Yeah, think about uh, 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 getting the letter from these uh, particular hotel, and then you know just that particular envelope smelling okay. the same thing. It will take you back to that particular thing, right? I mean, exactly. people have been using it for love letters, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, such an exciting product, and we're gonna put the link um, for the audience uh, into the um, uh, episode description so people can uh, check out the project and look themselves. It's super interesting, and um, yeah, so. Uh, talking maybe a little bit uh, more about uh, also your role at Value Labs when it comes to design leadership. Um, you have been mentioning in the beginning a couple of things that um, you guys are focusing on, um, and you also mentioned topics that you know some people may not have so much touch points with. For example, like media is also part of uh, what you're doing. It seems like a, a you know a lot of different topics. How did you split the team between? like um is it like do you have project teams or you have sort of more disciplinary uh, teams like how did how did you divide and sort of like 
organize and and and, and split the team so uh, um, you know to answer that question first i would like to talk about my own experience as a designer coming from new media design uh, yeah. to transitioning into something like as uh, like something like ux right mm-hmm. i fit in naturally because i was coming from a digital branch but uh, yeah. but what was happening is that there are different perspectives which are there and different kind of designers which are there uh, so i wanted to create a team which was extremely inclusive but at the same point of time which has a lot of different perspective because i believe only when you have diversity of thought processes a different sort of pattern a unique innovative patterns can be created so what i did is uh, i got uh, designers from various different uh, backgrounds and i divided them into what they uh, would like to pursue like for example if their uh, ability to think about you know research methodologies and uh, creating interaction design was uh, better than their visual you know graphic design um, we had like uh, interaction design team which was comprising of a lot of different kind of designers uh, which had understanding of ux processes which we were imparting once they joined we you know sort of have a process in terms of ux uh, like what kind of design process would be followed but what we really cherish was their individuality and what they want to be so uh, i didn't wanted to create a cookie cutter sort of a, you know design job description where you have to be only this kind of designer to get into the role and my own experience of design in a way which i was very irritated when i joined the industry was uh, a full stack designer in a way that they would call it in a very technological terms somebody who could do the user research to html you know and i was yeah. not that kind of designer i had a strength in in research and interaction design so much not that in graphic design i of course being a designer you always have a knowledge of color typography and things like that but that was not somewhere that i wanted to be so i wanted to make space for people like me who do not uh you know fit into this cookie cutter sort of uh, you know one size fits all from research to html uh, everybody uh so that's what we did we are uh, looking at designers who have first of all depth of thought processes and uh, you know creating more spaces for them so they either find themselves as interaction designer or they find themselves as visual designers if they are in between then we you know look at them as a product designer who wants to do something like Uh, starting with interaction design to a visual design but then they don't look at html and all that spaces so each one tours their own is something which is like a mantra for the design team with diversity of disciplines that we really enjoy um and the team setup is basically more like an agency it's a central team which serves the uh, the larger value labs in various different projects that comes in so we sit centrally um and that's how a lot of collaboration happens and that's why you know most of the projects have been able to you know create something which is very different and unique and you know that's why we were able to get that uh, sort of position as the creative agency of the year and why it was that because once a project comes in maybe only two designers would be involved in that let's say an, an interaction designer and a ui designer so these they form the uh, the smallest unit of any sort of project so when these two individuals are on that particular you know project um and when kick off happens and they get the brief we don't just let these two designers work what they do is they get that kind of brief and as a team we brainstorm so what's happening is actually we are tapping into collective intelligence of the whole group while these two uh, team members are empowered to take you know what they want from that team and drive forward 
apart from that like uh, as i said there's a lot of diversity of disciplines right so even within the visual design umbrella we have people who are animators who are illustrators uh, and you know so these kind of different sort of animator illustrator ui designer graphic designer so these different nuances helps us to create something which is very unique even uh, when we are looking at just let's say ui design so these disciplines then add on to that to create a very different kind of experience so this diversity is actually helping us to push forward our you know thought processes and because one thing whenever one idea strikes we and you know we uh, successfully implement it that becomes the benchmark that's that time we have that as already known uh, tried and tested methodology and if it fits the context we know this is what we can do at the least but then we push beyond that we look at it that okay we have reached here how can we make it more intuitive or more experiential so that those are the questions we are tackling so that way you know the whole uh, you know team is extremely motivated to find every time something new discover something new and we know that collectively only this is possible so these designs that way are so collaborative as i like to put it that one person could have not done alone the it could have not been done if one person passed the whole design to other but it only happened because of the conversation between these two people certain knowledge and experiences were passed and because of that a pattern which is so unique which either of them individually could not have obtained is something that coming into table so that's that's what we are tapping into mm-hmm. yeah i think it's great that you you touched on some very important topics like you know empowering people in the team to kind of take responsibility um and i think also the topic of you know full stack designer like you mentioned i know very very few designers who can actually go from research to html <laughs> on a high level i think every designer needs to understand that process though because if you are too hyper specialized uh you're just going to be less valuable to the team uh and if you can just take a product forward for like one week because you just specialize on this one little piece of the design process then it's going to be difficult to kind of incorporate that, that person into the team but like i think not having that sort of like point where a person is really good at it, but then like growing from there i think is is good and um and uh yeah getting understand about the, the full design process but certainly doesn't need to execute from like research to to html i think they often call it t-shaped the, designer right where yeah, you know exactly. the essential part of the design process yeah. but you take one particular you know field and you dive deep into it so yes. that's that's like the magic mantra for you know different exactly. teams with different kind of teas coming together yeah, to create yeah. something unique i mean if if a designer wants to be good at at the whole process they're usually very senior so they've been doing <laughs> it for a long time and they've been actually getting the opportunity or creating the opportunity for themselves to actually go from projects and a lot of time in research and UX and also UI and 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 kind of gain it but that that takes takes a lot of time. Yeah, I assume you probably need to if you have these different skill sets, these unique skill sets if you want to cherish the individuality, you need a I think the 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 sort of resource management or like design management becomes also important because you work with other clients, right? So yeah. you uh, let's say you have someone that is maybe um like you cannot just put people randomly together so if you have someone that is sort of really good at illustration but it doesn't make sense for the client to have an interface that is more on the on the edge of illustrations because he wants to have something more let's say graphical um 
you know, you, you would need to ar arrange the team like differently, right? So I think you yeah. constantly need to see like, okay, what's the best composition here for that yeah. particular client? So that, that I assume is also some, uh, definitely, I think some, some kind of work that needs to be done and kind of moderating that whole uh, conversation. Maybe you need to even change some things like during the process as you kind of learn more about the client problem, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what happens, um, actually. We have like the whole design operations and management team, uh, which, you know, looks after that. You rightly pointed. Every time yeah. it's a very different sort of setup that you have to do for a particular client. But what's a win-win situation here is uh, you would align somebody like a, as I said, the basic unit would be always interaction designer and a visual designer, mostly a UI designer, which is there. And there are certain specialists like animators, illustrators, even user researchers, uh, accessibility experts, information designers, all those kind of, you know, sort of things we have in the team. While they are there, they are uh, assisting them in a capacity where it is making sure that, you know, uh, the project is set up for success. So um, always making sure that that line, uh, the right alignment is there, requires a certain amount of understanding uh, and appreciating those, uh, uh, you know, individuality. Rather than looking at it as a limiting factor, we need to make sure that you are utilizing those kind of uh, you know skill set in a way that it will bring up uh, successfully you know sort of uh, get there uh, as you rightly pointed out it's every time we have to you know sort of create a team a sort of a small team spin up it spin it up for like a client to make sure it is aligning very well and what's interesting also is that if i understood correctly you were starting design within a company um, yeah, so um, uh, basically it was a sort of a new capacity and you know the team has been growing a little bit or a lot actually and so I'm wondering a little bit how did you position design within the company was there from the very beginning the the correct understanding what is the role of design were you able to kind of um, expand on that um, like how do you position design try to position uh, design at the company trying to be um, a force of support for other stakeholders uh, and maybe even growing the role of design within the company. How that how did that work out for you? Sure. Uh, so, uh, like when I joined Valila, UX design was not there, and design was actually one of the functions that they have, but it was catering more to like you know, let's say HR creating banners, posters. It was more like a marketing sort of a marketing. sort of a setup where you you know you have a designers who are working in house for like a very small pieces, bits and pieces of work. Like for example, they would always call beautification of PPT, presentation PowerPoints. So those kind of things were there. And that's why it was extremely important for me to make sure that uh, they don't carry forward the same sort of knowledge to this new team, which was getting created. And the mandate for this team was to create a design consulting arm, which would never be inward looking in a, in a like, you know, setup where you are creating a PowerPoint presentation for somebody, but something which was more on design consulting, where you have user experience, you have research. So first of all, I differentiated the whole two thing because it was called design studio. I called it user experience group. And I said, that's that's not design. Beautifying your PPT is not design. So let's first start with what design can do. Um, luckily, uh, at that point of time, when we just started uh, with the user experience group or design team, actually in Value Labs, um, um, they had asked me first to look at the website of Alalabs, which at that point of time was doing really bad. It was not intuitive. It was like, it had a lot of its problems of its own. Mm -hmm. uh, and they asked me if I could change the you know website for them. Um, at that point of time, I asked them that, okay, uh, why, why do you want to change it? Like, apart from it doing really bad, why do you want to change? What value do you want to bring in? 
So they wanted to make, you know, more business grow organically and all those kind of questions were there. More so when I went into the research, I understood the problem was not just website. It was the whole of the branding, which has gone for a toss. It was a company which was founded 21 years ago uh, in a, uh, like in Hyderabad with just three people. And that branding, you know, was continuing even now when it is a multinational company, uh, which is employing 6,000 people. At that point of time, it was employing 5,000 people. So I said, it's, it's wrong. So um, initially, we faced a lot of uh, resistance to this. Uh, in fact, the whole project was abandoned in between. But then, you know, I pushed forward. And finally, uh, with this particular one project uh, doing success and marketing also tracking the metrics, uh, some of the metrics actually were like increased 400%. The about page view and things like that. So those directly was like, you know, numbers that you could see, but also how the design made everybody feel around them. So I remember uh, when the project abandoned, it got abandoned because our CEO said that we don't want to change our logo. Of course, it was like a lot of emotional connect, right? Yeah. Uh, when you start a company with three people and, you know, it's a small setup and that logo has stuck with people for 21 years, uh, you know, the kind of uh, perception it has is, is a lot. So I had to literally, you know, work uh, on the, uh, I look, literally looked at psychology biases, had to take that out then had to like really inform the whole management, CEO, everybody. Uh, thankfully, people are really smart at Wale Labs. Um, when I say something, they, they actually want to hear, at least they want to listen. Even if they want to object to it, they first want, they are okay to listen even uh, things that they does not make direct sense to them. So CEO agreed to listen to me. Then I, I showed him like a lot of biases that are actually dictating his, uh, you know, sort of, his and other management, uh, uh, you know, decisions at that point of time. And when, <laughs> funnily, when the whole uh, project was finished uh, and I was like, okay, this is the new website and logo. Do you want to see the last one? So he said, no, 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 please don't uh, turn that out. It hurts my eye. The same person. But these are still on the visual design, right? But actually the yeah. branding did a lot of other things. It articulated the values that Valilams was living much more. It actually just gave it, as you call identity. Why it is called identity? Because it speaks volume. So that was understood by just Valley Labs. For our clients, we made sure that, uh, and with that exercise, right? Because we were not mm. directly jumping into the, you know, the craft of design. We had done like a good amount of workshops where we, you know, interviewed everybody, you know, created some sort of justification. Each thing had a, you know, sort of narrative and story behind it. So they understood that how strategy was driving everything. Uh, and of course, um, everybody loved it, uh, the project. That became the first. So when, once you prove the value, uh, people understand. And that was just the beginning. That was like the first few days of, uh, you know, the team. Uh, from there on, uh, you know, every other interaction, we made sure that, Articulation is as important. We made sure that we are making partnerships and not silos. Because one of the biggest problem with, uh, you know, us designers are that we understand design. And unfortunately or fortunately, UX design now being the hot topic, everybody wants to give you suggestions. So how not get irritated, but understand that why people are showcasing so much of interest is because our, you know, our uh, discipline matters and take it constructively and educate. Take that opportunity to educate people about not being a pretty picture, but how it is driving strategy uh, is important. And that's what we did with all of our clients. In starting, you know, the timelines were really like one third of what uh, actual it could have been. 
but through lot of uh, you know explanation by educating them we you know sort of made sure that uh, and with them strategizing that what value each of the design process will bring into their business was important this is how we sort of you know molded the perception of people from a pretty picture amazing aesthetics ui to design being something which is actually driving the strategy in fact in our company we have in valulabs we have this digital flyby earlier it was just business strategy at the center and it had experience and four corners which were there but after all of these exercise i think it got another layer it was business strategy it was powered by design so what we were trying to say is that design is focusing your business strategy and that is currently all across the across value lab so people now understand the value of design as people who can solve business problems now we don't get uh, things like design website for us now we get how do we get our business from this to this how can we increase adoption how can we do this so now our statements have changed because we could bring about that change in the perception of people with whom we were you know creating projects and stuff so stakeholder education is extremely important that only can bring up the design maturity and then thereby you can make changes and change in organization Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're touching on so many interesting topics. I mean, first of all, I think the brand design and logo design product that might be a tough. Uh, it's always a tough start, and I always uh, think it's one of the most challenging one to kind of reposition like a brand because, like you said, there's a lot of emotional investment. Specifically, if you work with the people that have founded the company at the very beginning, uh, they have a lot of emotional investment, and that process that requires a lot of facilitation stakeholder management and then one thing you mentioned is also important like articulation of your design choices and using design as a strategic uh, element and um, being smart about like how you communicate design that this is sort of like its own role and i think that's so true i think you know as designers evolve in their role i think you know it's in the very beginning it's about learning the hard skills so understanding actually your craft being at this user research being at visual design whatever it is right you talked about t-shaped designer um but then very often i think sort of i think it was the next step of a designer is to understand to be really good at communi- communication and facilitation yeah. so really being good about like talking about why we need to do something how we can provide value and what was the reason for our um our offering that we're making here mm-hmm. or our recommendation uh, because yeah. i think that's sort of that's sort of the difference between uh, uh sort of a let's say a, a mid level designer and a very uh, experienced designer in a in a business context that they're able to co- communicate this very well because that way the other side understands the reasoning for it and um and it needs open ears as well like you said like yeah. your ceo was open to to hearing about that that's obviously also i think needed but Yeah, that's so important. You were able to position design as a strategic element around business problems, right? Also, very interesting to hear how you were using the branding and the naming of sort of the group to kind of um, put people in the right mindset uh, and kind of disconnect into their, their what what they kind of maybe associated so far with design. Very in- super interesting story. So sh- thank you so much, Kat, for sharing that. I would really like love to continue chatting with you. Uh, there's so much more to more ground to cover, but I think we need to wrap it up uh, because of time. So um, I would like to thank you so much, uh, Kat, for taking the time and chatting with me today. It was a pleasure, and thank you for having me here. Thank you so much. All right, that was the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you give it a thumbs up. Let me know in the comments about taking me in the post. What were the biggest learnings for you in the episode? I'm always super curious about that. If the episode provided you a lot of value, make sure to follow and subscribe and share it with friends or others so they also have the chance to learn and grow themselves. All right, until next time. Cheers.